Welcome to Inside Out Leadership. I'm your host, Rob Holman. I'm on a mission to interview 12 of the greatest inside out leaders in the world in 12 months. Yes, that's right, 12 months. These extraordinary leaders come from business, sports, politics, and entertainment who have faithfully demonstrated inspiration, humility, courage, perseverance, and servant leadership. As a result, they're leaving a ripple effect upon the world to affect future generations. My guest today is author and conflict coach, Kimberly Lowe. Kim is a conflict resolution and negotiation specialist, a leadership coach, and co-author of the book, Compassionate Conversations, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. Her book is viewed as a definitive guide to learning effective strategies for engaging in open and honest conversations about divisive issues. Previously, she worked in a peace building and meditation research for the United Nations, as well as writing and advocacy for international NGOs and academic institutions. A lawyer by profession, she's an expert in international arbitration and litigation. Her work today centers on serving conscious leaders to up-level their human relationships and harness the true power of their dreams. Kim, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Rob. I'm excellent. And thank you for your sweet introduction. Oh, uh, no, it's, it's my pleasure. Listen, there's so much to get into in this interview today. I came across your work and I find it to be absolutely extraordinary. And even, um, dare I say, provocative in the sense of, uh, you. I love the angle that you take as it relates to conflict resolution, having and engaging in healthy conversation. Uh, your work is as extraordinary as it is, as I've been doing my homework on you, what makes you and your work even that much more extraordinary is your heart. I've just mm -hmm. found that you have the most amazing heart. You are so, yeah, you serve people so well. And you are one that just, you don't just have a message to give or to share. You've actually become your message. Mm -hmm. And so, so I just want to say thank you for being with me. I have a lot to learn as I, as I know our entire audience does from you today. I figured a great place to start. You and I know in the United States of America, uh, you currently reside in Hawaii. I am in Pennsylvania uh, in the States. And we are given one year to give thanks. It's called the Thanksgiving holiday, right? And in the Thanksgiving holiday, oftentimes we will gather around the table and bring meals and, and invite people in. During COVID times, that could be interesting because maybe we're not bringing as many people into our homes or going to homes with a, a, a bunch of people. However, it's one day in our country where to give thanks, be grateful for what we have and what we've been given, et cetera. The challenge is, even as we gather with like-minded, like-hearted people from same family, friends, et cetera, you and I know it doesn't take long for the conversation, even with that one day a year to get negative really quick. Gossip, uh -huh. if we're not careful, gossip can begin to seep into the conversation. And all of a sudden, what started out as a celebratory time, where we're start, supposed to talk about meaningful things, life-giving things, purpose-driven things, all of a sudden, there can be a conversation we find ourselves in that's very tension-filled, and mm -hmm. it can be awkward, and it can really damage relationships. Mm -hmm. In steps you, Kim, as this expert mm -hmm. to help us with even a dynamic like this, not to mention in different spheres of society that we may find ourselves in, talking to a neighbor, community activities, uh, within business, of course, teams, team members, it doesn't take long at all for us to find ourselves in a situation like this. Yeah. So 
would you provide, I figured a great place to really dive into first and foremost is mm. your upbringing fascinates me. Okay. I mean, you currently live in Hawaii. You've lived in Hawaii for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. but it, it sounds as though you grew up in the UK, but yet you have family from Malaysia. Your heritage kind of is from that part of the world as well. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was it like growing up in, yeah, in the UK, your family's from, or at least portions of part of your family's from Malaysia. How did that shape you? That kind of mm-hmm. culture being brought up in, a, in with so much diversity. Yeah, yeah, I can totally speak to that. Um, I mean, first of all, London is an incredibly cosmopolitan, varied city in and of itself. Um, and then my heritage, you mentioned Malaysia. Um, my family, we have like Chinese blood, Malaysian, Indonesian, Dutch kind of like mixing in there in the past. And, and so I think just my karma being born into the world is that it's just not one thing. It's multiple things. Um, Probably there were some times when I was in the UK where honestly, I just felt like this is not my home. This is, I mean, I kind of, I get the way things work and there's a comfort and it used to, used to it, but it just never felt fully like my home. But then I would go back to Asia and there was about um, serious chunks of my life, three to five years where I was in Hong Kong and Singapore and you know, you'd think from the outside, me being sort of like racially from there, you know, from there, quote unquote, that I would feel some sameness, but there was sometimes the differences there would feel even more pronounced because I, you know, I wasn't thinking in the same way. I'd been used to sort of Western concepts and ways of life. And and so you might say that I became a mediator within my own life, noticing that there's different narratives, different expectations, different ways of expressing ourselves, um, and really to try to kind of be okay with both sides, see what's right about it, see what's even healthy and good about it, but also notice where are the limitations. Uh, and, and, you know, getting, being an outsider, maybe getting to move around, we can become more observant of those things. Yeah. You know, yeah, it is so easy. I'm just thinking of my own life for a moment as I'm hearing you speak. It's so easy to make, you know, where we live geographically, like that can easily become our world. And we mm-hmm. begin to have perspective unless you break out of there, unless it's given to you a bit on, on a platter. Like I just kind of find myself traveling and, or my parents travel. So I can't help but think of the need that we all have to kind of break out of not just the geographical area in which we live, where we can certainly experience different people, different cultures, subcultures, but mm-hmm. even mindsets. You know, mm-hmm. we we all have yes. our you know natural streams of thinking again based on a variety of different things. But how important? If, could you speak to that for a moment? Just breaking out, like if, if someone's listening right now, and they're like wow, like I'm amazed by Kim's upbringing. I kind of wish I had an upbringing like that because it would have given me this, you know, diverse perspective almost immediately, but I haven't had that luxury. Uh, Maybe I've traveled a little bit, but uh, I find myself just gravitating towards people that look like me, sound like me, have a similar level of education than I do. What would you Mm -hmm. say to a person like that of maybe even some things that they can do to broaden their perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. I like that because it's inviting us towards opening and sort of including more. And we, we in the the book in Compassionate Conversations, we take kind of an evolutionary view that, you know, sort of consider where our humanity is in this moment in time and consider where it was 100 years ago, the kinds of social 
you know, you frame it like an opportunity, like how can we broaden ourselves to those other people and their ways of being? We take that as actually that's part of what's happening. So we can aim for it and also just trust it. Um, the the question that you that you offered, actually something came to my mind. And if you don't mind, maybe I'll just go into Please, like a yeah. few segments and then maybe we can map on like what this might mean. Um, okay, so all of us, we're, we're born into this skin suit, this being that we are with a name and a, a language and yeah, mother tongue and a country that we were born into and a favorite football team or favorite color and all that. To have a healthy egocentric self is to be intimate with that stuff, to pay attention to our wants and our needs and our survival instincts. Um, but also the frustrations that might come with that of being in this like limited one being. And sometimes when we're um, sitting around that dinner table, having our Thanksgiving dinner, we can become a little bit hardened into that self, that former self. Um, so we'll pause that there as just one kind of level of the self, maybe. And then maybe another one is the ethnocentric self, the one who actually identifies with coming from, say, for a few, perhaps it's from the United States, or perhaps it's the kind of um, political or values field that is most, you know, sort of familiar to you, perhaps or how your parents kind of introduced you to social issues. And, and we might find ourselves having certain kinds of allegiances and maybe loyalties based on that. And so that ethnocentric self is a really important thing to pay attention to in our identity because um, some research has shown that, you know, maybe up to 60%, 70% of the conflicts in the world, and I'm really, you know, I'm talking large scale now, these relate to identity. So our ethnocentric self is a very important part of who we are. It's how many of us identify, like, this is who I am. This is, you know, yeah, my country, my spirit, my values, my, and it can be quite destructive when it is get when it gets out of hand and we don't know how to reel back the emotion or the power that you know it can become destructive we see that in the world right so so take a breath and just sort of pause there and acknowledge that that's a version of the self and then maybe we can expand a bit more to another one and this might be the one and by the way I, i'll just quickly say this is not supposed to be hierarchical i'll cut to the, i'll cut right to the end the goal is flexibility like the goal that. is how to inhabit each one fully when the moment arises without becoming bound by it, without, um, say, the situation changes in front of you. It's a different person in front of you that you're actually speaking to. So don't treat them like that uncle, you know, from before. Um, so it's about flexibility. And that third one that I was about to go into, I think that's what maybe your question is like, how can people open up in a more um, world-centric way or sort of, you know, taking into account that we have scientific paradigms, taking into account the fact that we also have spiritual paradigms and can these things coexist? And, you know, can we take care of our environment, even though that's not a human who can speak for itself? Like that kind of care mm -hmm. is actually something that comes when we, when we take the whole planetary circumstance into account and we have these things like no child left behind and, um, and stuff. So maybe the, the, the stage that we're in and moving from ethnocentric to world-centric is to open our hearts to those things that are bigger than ourselves. And it doesn't end there too, because as many of us know who've worked in um, nonprofits or certain leadership of many major organizations around the world, including like the United Nations, the world-centric level has its own limits. It can be very easy to become bogged down and distressed by the enormity, say, of climate change and the enormity of racism, 
And so there's a space beyond that our spiritual traditions offer us, and that's the cosmic centric self, that much more unitive awareness where you realize the miracle that it is that our planet is hurtling through the sky and that we can love one another and this is it. You know, yeah. this is this is it. And yeah. then it's like everything's it's kind of like oh, I can't I won't swear on this show, but it's like everything's messed up and everything's cool, yeah. you know. It's like you're in love and heartbreak is part of that. Like we live and we die. And, and so we want to become fluid and know these places in ourselves so that when you're sitting in front of your, your uncle who's making you mad, you can say, hey, hold up a second. I noticed that we're both getting really like entrenched in our difference right now. And that's not my intention. I'd actually really like to connect with you. I'd really like for us to have an exchange where we hear each other and then we respectfully, you know, shake hands and like. That's cool. Yeah, so, yeah, that's the quality. I that love like it. I, one of the things that just jumped out to me, you, you said a phrase, which I love everything you said. I, I think it's just so spot on. I told you, you have a wonderful heart. And I want to pick up on something you said. We need to open our hearts. Yeah. And you and I have something in common. Because sometimes when we open our hearts, even younger in age, our hearts you know, are sensitive. And our hearts can be broken or hurt. Um, I, my parents were divorced when I was in high school. I don't mm -hmm. know at what age your parents were divorced, but it, it has an effect oh, on people. Was it 12? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. I was about 16 or so. And here I was as a middle child. Uh, I wore my heart on my sleeve, very sensitive. And it had an impact on me, a profound impact. And I want to ask you, with speaking of matters of the heart, yeah. uh, as important it is to open our heart, there, our hearts can be very fragile and very sensitive, especially when there's, there's things that happen to us that affect us for the negative, the challenging things. Yeah. For you, as a 12-year-old, your parents getting divorced, to let us into Kim, Kim Lowe's life a little bit, even that much more, like what effect did it have on you uh, at that particular age? And then how did that shape you to have more awareness about yourself, be able to trust yourself and others even with going through something like that on the home front, what was that like? Um, I mean, the first thing that sort of lands with me as I'm hearing you kind of speak is that um, our journey of the heart must include the suffering. It, it cannot escape it. You know, that's, I think that's just part of being human is that our hearts are vulnerable to being broken. And maybe that's a word that we can put into the space that like, to be heartfulness is somehow to be aware of our vulnerability and to feel it when it happens. And um, when I, when I was a girl and my parents were getting divorced, I think I probably felt extremely helpless. I think I probably felt I was kind of empathic, full feeling kid. Like I cried, I cried a bunch at movies, even when I was five years old, I can remember it. So I think that, you know, the hurt went in deep. I would say that, um, I, it took me some years to repair some of the relationships, sort of what that was happening in this family system. It took many years, even in, I mean, um, in my early 20s, I think that's when I took some really significant commitments to myself that I was going to do my work on my, you know, my half of this, because like, it's always going to be both. The relationship's always both. We, as much as we might want to put it on the other person and say, you did this, and that's why, and I, I'm like this because you're like that. <laughs> no, no, we got <laughs> And we all do, we all do that, or at least the temptation's I, there to do it, of course. Right, and, and that's forgivable. I don't, I don't hold it too harsh. Um, 
But I realized at a certain point, like, yeah, actually, I will take on what is mine to heal in this. And maybe that's the bright line that can come through that vulnerability and hurt is like, actually, wholeheartedness is what will what will save. And um, I'm aware, I'm wondering what I can. Okay, I'll share something with you that Diane, um, teacher and co-author of this book, Compassionate Conversations, something that she shares is that um, the heart is able to metabolize all of that which is unacceptable to us, mm. our, our grief and our incredible, sometimes frustration and rage. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can feel like almost bursting out of my chest. It's such a somatic thing. And, and sometimes just surrendering to the heart is actually the only thing that's required because the mind sure is, I mean, I, we, we love the mind, right? Beautiful tool, but terrible master is, as Ron Bass <laughs> well, shares said, well said, <laughs> right? So, so when that happens, when you're like, I can't think my way out of this, I can't, I can't put, say, it's not like you can just buy enough therapy and it gets better, right? There's some point where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is my life. This is how it is. And when you can surrender to your heart in there, and there's many practices to help people do that, that I hope people just Googling heart-based, get guided meditation, Tonglen, the the Tibetan teachings are very good for cultivating compassion, equanimity, loving kindness. I'd certainly point people towards those um as they want to grow their hearts yeah well what i'm gathering from you is yeah the more that we are willing to put in the work of just coming to terms with some things and learning to surrender learning to let go learning to forgive you know that's what inside out leadership's all about you know so many people and so many leaders kim as you know the temptation is to just start leading and, and trying the latest and greatest techniques and strategies to, to motivate people and to, but I'm like, no, no, no. Why don't we actually begin in the heart and uh-huh. really begin? And it starts with us because at the end of the day, you can only give what you got. And the more that we receive what's good, what's healthy for us. And you're really taking us by the hand and showing us some things, creating a level of awareness that we need so that we can, um, we can keep on keeping on in our personal journey so that others can benefit and we can serve more effectively in and out of that place. So, yeah. um, so yeah, let's get sure. a little practical here as it relates to, you know, just conversations. Well, do you mind, so can I just say a little thing about leadership before yeah. we go to that? Practical? Love for you too. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's something that I was thinking about, you know, as I was looking forward to our talk this morning and I realized that my model of leadership in my brain has very much changed compared to say six years ago or something mm-hmm. like that. And now I see it very much as the one who can um, facilitate, catalyze, inspire, galvanize energy, resources, a direction, and the heart of the group. Um, So I see the leader very much these days as kind of a facilitator of the collective of what's wider. And this is where I think that for, at least from my perspective, the awareness training, meditation, um, for some people, the the avenue is through the body. So going through yoga or Tai Chi or, or swimming or, you know, flotation tank or, um, but, but finding, you know, that part of us that is not identified with this is Kim's hand or this is Kim's work or anything like that, but like awareness itself like who is it who's looking through these eyes and claiming and awareness training is what i'm saying is absolutely crucial to this becoming a very skillful leader because then that person can listen can really pay attention to subtlety in the field so if a group is going lethargic or 
there's an implicit little dispute happening, you know, in the subtext of an email, someone who's kind of skilled, open, aware of their biases and, and curious can can help to tease these things apart and then facilitate what it is that needs to happen. Because sometimes conflict's intelligent. I mean, actually always conflict is intelligent, but sometimes we might have the opportunity to like, oh, what is it that wants to emerge? What is it that wants to be learned here? And the leader I think is the one who knows how to help bring about the right circumstance so that together we can you know, help it transform into what the next thing is. You know, it's a, a, I'm a visual person, so my imagination goes wild when I hear people. And you're, my imagination is going absolutely out of this world right now, listening to you. And images flashed in was picturing like a, a leader as a conductor of sorts. And there's the, there's the uh, pianist, the flautist, the, the drummer, the, you know, just different, whatever it is, whether it's a band, an orchestra, whatever, but they are literally conducting and pulling out and, you know, in that way. And I love the facilitative leader because it does highlight some of the things that you were bringing up and out. It, it, we do have to be mindful. We have to be sensitive. We have to know the flow of the meeting and where it's heading, even before it fully gets there so we can you know, corral certain things, bring them over here, bring them over there to state a point or to give everyone a voice in the meeting because yeah. everyone's voice truly does matter and we are better together. And uh, it's not without challenge for a leader uh, leading out of that place. However, as a natural result that comes out of that, when a leader remains facilitative in nature and is aware and growing in that kind of way, Oh, I mean, the things that you could begin to accomplish, the creative ideas that flow out of that place, the problem solving capability, et cetera, et cetera. So you are getting me going. All right. <laughs> cool. I want to get practical with you. Yeah. So let's say that, and I, I once heard you say this, that all conversations should begin and end with having something in common, right? That, that common, but can you take us into that a little bit more? The importance of just the common bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for most people, it just feels like, oh, it's obvious. What's the point? Like, no need to say it. Obviously, we're still human beings here. Like, but actually, we think that because um, I'll say we. Well, we know certainly from neuroscience now how much the negativity bias can condition our experience and how we're primed to be mind, you know, be aware of threat and fix things versus actually like kind of celebrate what's going right. And so affirming sameness is a great way to get on the same page with someone before zooming into what is the problem? What are the things that we need to pick at? The depth of our, um, how can I say, our ability to stay connected and work through the sticky issues is directly related to the amount of trust that we feel with one another. And also how much psychological safety we have to talk things through because I'm sure we've all been in rooms where like, things go hush and no one wants to say things and people don't want to look stupid and people don't want to make mistakes. And it's a terrible environment for creativity. And we, yeah. So actually bringing in sameness might look like, um, you know, Hey person, like we have something to talk about here, but before we go there, um, I'd like to just affirm like where we're actually aligned. Maybe it's that we're, we both really care about the project. Maybe it's that we are both juggling with other commitments that make this three week deadline feel sketchy and just to feel that together and acknowledge that it's not the other person's fault, but that's just the conditions that we're in. And 
through doing that, it's kind of like you're moving onto the same side of the table and then looking at this shared picture of what it is you're working on together versus more adversarial style going to the other side of the table, like some kind of negotiation. Well, what are you going to take on? Well, what can I take on? What are you going to take on? You know, instead it's like coming together and saying like, Hey, we've both got this thing we care about and we're both stretched. Mm. What's the best way through it, you know, and sharing the intention. Uh, You didn't ask this yet, but another practical thing that I feel is great is sharing an intention at the beginning and giving both people a chance or through all the people a chance to do that. So like, what is it we want to receive from this conversation? Is it to feel connected? Is it to sort of actually, sometimes it might be just to resolve an issue. Sometimes it might be, I really want to practice listening better. This is now a personal relationship. And this is my kid. My intention is to really listen and at all costs, you know, I'm going to listen. So that can really help to guide us. Yeah. You know, there's one word that jumps out to me is honor. Because I, I think of like holding one in high regard when you when you can share in a common bond, when you can sing their praises uh, a bit. And sometimes I understand intention-filled conversations when there's conflict and you want to shy away, you don't know exactly what to do. You know, we, we can make it about us and what we want. You know, it's almost like a reactionary thing. The defenses go up and I'm going to get my point across. Really? But what I'm hearing you say is not so fast. Take a deep breath. And all of a sudden, begin to be intentional with some things. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's more in common than we may even realize in the midst of that conversation and really beginning to go there yeah. and to express that explicitly. In the midst yeah. of that, pointing out, being intentional with uh, saying some things that you really enjoy about the person or, you know, I think yeah, there's tremendous yeah. opportunity if we just kind of take a deep breath, make sure that we have more in common and let the other person that we have more in common than we may even realize and pointing some of those things out, I can only imagine if there are defenses in a in the room at that particular, or at least going into a conversation that we were like, oh, I'm not so sure about, when we begin to enter into that space that you're referring to, the defenses start coming down. They start to dissipate more. And we can, out of that place, I assume, we can begin having even that much more rich and meaningful conversations. Is that pretty accurate? Like it kind I of- I think that's absolutely accurate. And I think that in that kind of- instinct to, to slow down is really key because yeah our reactive cells our defensive cells yeah there's no end like to what that can be and there's something right about that but many of much of the time I think we we come away myself included sometimes feeling a little unsatisfied and so if we are if, you know our, our listeners here are curious about like what might help I would say yeah that slowing down that asking what is important here and taking responsibility for our own reactivity. That's definitely some of our work to do. That's so good. All right, so before we go, is there anything that you're like, all right, if there's one more thing I've got to bring up about compassionate conversations, about the book, the brilliant book that you co-wrote, about some of our conversation that you want to emphasize, you want to bring out even that much more, what would it be today? Mm -hmm. It jumps out. Yeah, one one piece that I'd, I'd love to be able to land for people is that listening is not equivalent to agreement. Mm. To listen to something really well does not mean you agree. And sometimes I think we resist listening really well because of that. It's like you almost don't want to let it stand, let that be out there in the space. But it's kind of, it's a non-starter. If we can't let other people's truths and perspectives and opinions, no matter how ludicrous we think they are, if we can't even let them exist in the space, then we're actually not, we're not honoring them as a human being. Yeah. Um, and 
I will say, of course, that there are very important social justice movements happening where the dialogue and the discourse, the narrative of what is emerging sometimes can have a lot of scrutiny and intensity to it. So this is just to say this is a more complex conversation. But for all of us, I think that the fundamental idea that listening does not equate to agreement is really, really important. Um, Because if there's one sort of universal skill that I think we could all do better, it's to listen really well and to learn to reflect. So say if you you and I were sitting down, we're, we're having a conversation. If you wanted to talk to me about what happened with you and your family growing up, um, if I were to sit here and listen, not to put my agenda or what I learned or, you know, my even my curiosity of like, where should this go next? But to just generously listen, I think you would have an experience that could actually have the potential to be healing for what you might have gone through as a 16 year old. And we can offer that to people, even in a conflict, you know, to actually create spaces. I just think that there's something so relieving soothing it's like a mother soothing a child like being listened to well is so is so key so I hope that um yeah I hope that people can feel inspired to continue working that skill and offering it to each other yeah this conversation I I gotta tell you is so good I I could talk to you for a lot longer than we already have trust me um so with compassionate conversations where can people get the book where can they learn more about you? Like, take us into that a little bit, yeah, please. For sure. Um, so Compassionate Conversations, it's available through Barnes & Noble and Amazon and IndieBound for um, those who've got independent bookstores nearby. Um, can, we have the site of CompassionateConversations.com. After bringing out the book, we did a bunch of courses, taught, taught 10-week courses, Um, And we're currently available for people to reach out to us if they want to bring that into their organization or into their team and have a tailored training. Um, We love kind of like going in depth with groups and helping people specifically with like leadership and kind of human group, um, you know, sort of context specific things. Um, For myself, my work is at KimberlyLow.com. There's some notes about the book there too. And um, yeah, and I really welcome people to get in touch. I'm extremely passionate about this topic. And, and I, thank the, I thank the good teachers in my life who helped me get to this place because it's actually very personal for me, this work. And you know, thanks for bringing in that personal aspect of it. I feel, I feel very grateful to be able to do this. And I am very much on the path myself. I'm constantly like being a human, messing up, being like, ah, oh, why didn't I do that better? And and so I, I think that we can offer each other humility and compassion to just be on this journey together. Yeah. Well, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Kim. You are thank a you. true and genuine gift, not only to me, to all of our listeners and for people and leaders all around the world. Please get the book, uh, Compassionate Conversations. You're going to be thrilled that you did. Reach out to Kim, connect with her uh, and, and see what she has. She's wetting her appetite with things that are available, but take full advantage of them. And uh, so thank you so, so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. You're awesome. Thanks for this. You're welcome. So listen, just a closing thought in my conversation with Kim today is it's important to remain as a student. So many times in relationships around us, we think, well, what can I offer this person? Or what can I tell them about something they need to learn? But regardless if we're ahead of someone or we're behind someone, we're all powerful people in our own right as human beings. 
We're all made uniquely apart from 8 billion people on the planet. And the more that we remain a student to who we were truly created to be, and the more that we remain a student to those that are within our sphere of influence, guess what? There becomes a genuine exchange of humanity, life, of the things that we can learn about ourselves, the things that we can learn about other people. And that's where so much of the magic happens. That's truly leading from the inside out. Also too, I wanna to encourage everyone today that you could be an author, you could be a content producer in your own right. There's a message maybe deep on your own heart that you want the world to hear, but you may not know how to get out that message. So I wanna encourage you, if that's you, if you are an aspiring speaker, content producer, or you're a seasoned one, but you're looking to join a community of like-minded, like-hearted people, we have a community that potentially could be for you. It's called the Get Paid to Speak speaker community. And it's those that I gather together and we have a webinar, we have a Zoom session one time per month where we talk about a really important inside out leadership topic that's going to help you refine that core message in the depth of your heart so your voice can become louder and you can get paid what you're worth to share it. Platform speaking opportunities, trainings, etc. But we're here for you. So if that's you, please go to robholman.com forward slash GPS to find more information. On behalf of Kim, my name's Rob Holman, the host of Inside Out Leadership. We are thrilled that you took time to be with us today. Until next time.